Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR, talent, and leadership communities to you. For more episodes and the latest articles covering what's new in the world of work, visit hrgazette.com, subscribe and follow us on social media. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum, and joining me on this episode is Steve Cadigan. Steve is a highly sought-after talent advisor to leaders and organizations around the world. His work in helping shape the culture at LinkedIn led to Stanford University to build a graduate-level class around this groundbreaking work. Steve is frequently asked to appear on Global TV and is a frequent guest on Bloomberg, West, and CNBC. And of course, now he's being featured on the HR Gazette. So he's got he's got uh, the full trifecta there uh, today as the founder of the Silicon Valley based firm Cadigan Talent Ventures. Steve advises a wide range of imitative organizations that include Twitter, Cisco, Intel, the Royal Bank of Scotland and many more. And he's also regularly retained by some leading venture capital and consulting firms such as Abrasine Horowitz. McKinney and Company, and many more. Hey, Steve, welcome to the show today. Hey, Bill, it's great to be here. So, Steve, beyond my reintroduction there, why don't you start by taking a minute or so and introducing yourself to our listeners? Sure. Well, uh, what can I say? I uh, am a citizen of the world, I guess, if you will. I grew up in South Africa. Uh, My parents uh, returned to America when I was about seven. I grew up on the East Coast of the U.S. Then when I finished university, went to the West Coast, And uh, over the course of my career, I've had a chance to live and work in Singapore for a few years, in Western Canada and British Columbia for four. Uh, And then uh, over the course of my working career, I have mainly been in the world of human resources and uh, started as a recruiter and uh, worked my way through about six different industries, fashion, insurance, wholesale, retail. um, And then in the mid 90s, got into high tech and just fell in love with that from a people practice perspective. Um, and my last regular role about 10 years ago, I was the first chief human resources officer for LinkedIn, as you mentioned. And uh, I left after about four years of taking the company from 400 to 4,000 and going through an IPO. It was an incredible experience. Uh, and I crawl, crawled out of there because <laughs> it was quite, quite uh, uh, stressful. And over the course of the last 10 years, I have just... Uh, really, really uh, sort of iterated, if you will, and tried to find where I was most excited. And I think it's, uh, I discovered the future work and helping leaders and organizations build compelling talent strategies is sort of where I've landed. And that's what I've been doing the last uh, 10 years or so. And last year, I published a book called Workquake, uh, which uh, quickly, uh, to my great surprise, became a hot new seller on Amazon. And it really is a sort of a manifesto, if you will, trying to build a better, more exciting, uh, encouraging conversation on the future work for both employers and employees. So that's a little bit about my, uh, my background. Receiving a quote from a legal professional has never been this quick, affordable, and accessible. Until now, the future of legal services is here, and it begins with Lavo. Lavo is a leading Canadian online legal platform for legal services. Getting connected to a legal professional within minutes is done in three easy steps. Answer a few simple questions, instantly get multiple quotes, then pick your professional and off you go. Learn more at lavo.com. 
Awesome. Thank you very much. And you mentioned there that you were the first CRO hired at LinkedIn and you led the company's growth up to and through what is still considered one of the most successful IPOs in, in modern tech. You also mentioned that it was a wee bit stressful. Tell, tell me about your role there at LinkedIn, some of those challenges, and also what you're most proud of. Well, Bill, you know, one of the great joys of being uh human resources, the top human resources executive at a company like LinkedIn was not only could I practice my craft of leading the talent function and, um, and addressing all the you know challenges that come with that, but I was also able to be a product advisor, able to help go on big sales uh, calls to big clients because they were selling a lot of HR solutions, such as recruiting solutions. And so that was really, really fun for me. Uh, but probably the biggest challenge was the fact that Ironically, the biggest product of the company was recruiting product, but the biggest company challenge was our capacity to recruit talent. <laughs> and that was sort of one of those failure is not an option. We're LinkedIn. We better be really, really good at this. And I happened to be behind the wheel of that function at a period of massive competition for top talent. You know, um, it was, uh, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010. Uh, very, very high growth period. Lots of uh, companies were taking off and recruiting like crazy. And so, uh, again, in, in another ironic moment, I was competing against companies that I was supplying my product to compete against me for talent. <laughs> so that was uh, that was probably the biggest challenge, honestly. And I think what I'm most proud of, to answer the second part of your question, Bill, is that through that competition, and why I love practicing human resources in a highly competitive market like Silicon Valley is it really forces you to innovate, forces you to be creative. It forces you to really, really think how you differentiate. And what we discovered, and I feel like I played a pretty significant role in this at LinkedIn, was we discovered that our real competitive advantage wasn't how smart we were about recruiting. It was how we well we built a great culture. And in the end, and that's sort of the irony of another ironic part of the story of my experience at LinkedIn was to win the war for talent, we had to get out of the war for talent and become the place that great talent wanted to find. So we got out of hunting and got more into building a great culture worthy of superstar talent wanting to find. And so to this day, I still feel proud of the culture that's there. Somehow, I, you know, through lots of new people and changes and new products and, 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 uh, you know, changes to the organization, it's still, uh, by many accounts, uh, is, a, is a fabulous place to, to work. So I'm very proud of that. Okay, thank you. So you've been there and you've done it, Steve. What then would you say are some of those characteristics of, of the most successful and perhaps the most inspiring HR leaders? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, th this this is such a really strange profession in a sense that I don't know that there is one true north of what great art, great HR looks like. It can look very different. And that's because people are so different. And what, you know, some practices in one organization that could really help that organization thrive may not necessarily help in another organization. It really depends on the chemistry of people, the, the cultural norms that are created in that environment. But I, for me, for my money, I think the great HR looks like, you know, a function that is sort of invisible, that you're trying to make other people better. And where I think a lot of HR leaders get it wrong is they try to create dependencies on themselves and they try to be 
the the reason why things are great versus invisibly the reason versus invisibly making other people better. Uh, and for me, I I built a career on breaking more policies than I made, and really trying to say I'm focused on winning, and um, and that can look very very different. And so uh, you know I think that you know keeping an open mind and looking at the portfolio of strengths and challenges you have among your leadership team and at the senior level for for HR leaders I think you know that's where I probably put the most muscle and most influential um, inertia if you will was trying to help my senior leaders really become the best versions of the their um, their abilities and, and help them be really really successful and I think the best work I ever did in my career was not because I was great at HR or I had a great team. It was because I had a leadership team that really owned the talent agenda. Um, and so that's, you know, and again, I'm not saying it's perfect for everyone, but that's, you know, that's my belief about it, Bill. Globalization Partners helps growing companies unlock their full potential by making it possible to build highly skilled global teams in days instead of months. Through their global employment platform, they help find, hire, onboard, pay, and manage team members quickly and compliantly to expand growth opportunities for everyone, everywhere, without the hassle of setting up local subsidiaries or branch offices. Learn more at globalizationpartners.com. Okay, let's uh, let's move into the present now and, and focus a bit on Cadogan Talent Ventures and what you and your team get up to there. Uh, Steve, you describe yourself as a talent hacker uh, because you help create unique approaches to inspire success in individuals, teams, and organizations. Tell me a little bit about the work that you guys do over there. Well, Bill, you know, I uh, saying that I have a firm is a bit of an overstatement. It's really me and my golden retriever. <laughs> I have to call my my business something, and it's really just me. And what I what I really try to spend my time doing is help leaders recognize that so many of the models we use in how we structure, organize, lead organizations today was built for a slower period of work. Uh, Today, we experience uh, skill change at a a pace we've never seen before. We're experiencing competition, um, external competition coming faster and stronger and more capable uh, than any time in history. And we're also seeing a trend that was accelerated during the pandemic of people just not staying in organizations as long because they have a lot more choice and a lot more visibility to uh, career options and so forth. And they're acting on that. And so what I'm trying to, a lot of my work is to try to help people reimagine creating value in a way that is more commensurate with a faster pace. Um, Things like hey, you can't apply for another job in this organization until you've been in your role for a year or two years just doesn't jive with a business that's changing and jobs that are changing super fast. And so, you know, trying to help people reframe the reality that we work in and also in in the process, reframe and understand that the psychology of the workforce has really shifted, especially in the last three years and what motivates people, what they're looking for is vastly different. So for example, one of the big shifts, I believe, is that talent is not looking, by and large, for job security today. They're looking for something bigger. They're looking for career security, which means make me better for the future. Don't promise me a job because I know that you can. And if you did, I wouldn't believe you. Don't promise me something that you can't really achieve. 
promise me something more meaningful. Just make me better so that if this business doesn't uh, you know, make it through the next pandemic or doesn't make it through an economic downturn or some kind of recession, that I will be okay because you've invested in giving me new projects, new assignments, new experiences so that I can thrive in the future. And that I think is a big shift from what people have been taught, mostly in human resources, which is let's encourage people and, and build a system that keeps people here as long as possible. And I just don't think that's a realistic aspiration today. So those are some of the things that I try to do is really help people rethink the talent landscape so that they are, they're, um, they're, they're finding more meaning. And so I'll give you another interesting story. So during the pandemic, most of my clients, when I meet with them, I say, how are you doing? They go, oh, Steve, it's been brutal. It's been so hard. And, you know, it's harder than ever to find people. It's harder than ever to keep people. And it's just been really, really hard. And then I say, well, how's your business results? Like, how are the numbers looking? Oh, Steve, we've had the best year ever. And I said, so think about what you just said. You just said you've had the greatest few years you've ever had, but they've been really, really hard, which means maybe we need to revisit how we're measuring our success and what that success looks like. And what they're, what they're saying indirectly is, I don't feel like I'm succeeding because people aren't staying as long and it's harder to find people. What they're not saying is, wow, I'm really finding that I can thrive and have my organization adapt faster than I thought. And maybe I can build a new model to leverage this new, you know, seemingly chaotic compared to old ways of working model of work. Um, so that's how, you know, how I, I love to spend my time. I absolutely love the work that I do. And the pandemic has, has, has made my addressable market just almost infinite right now. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Um, Steve, you've been speaking a lot recently about the need for us to build a uh, new language around work. Can you share why you feel that that's the case? You know, it's that's a great question, Bill. And, you know, tagging on to some of the things that I just mentioned about a broken model of work, if we're going to build something more meaningful, something more inspirational, something that fits this faster pace, we have to stop using some of the language, which I think is just really demotivating and not really fully capturing our capacity to build something new. So some of the words that really, really trigger me are words like digital transformation. Almost every organization in the world is going through some degree of digital transformation. And almost every management consulting firm is making most of their income by helping organizations digitally transform. And if you just think about those two words, digital transformation, uh, it, it's just not inviting people to want to participate. Those two words do not connote, you know, a picture of a little, you know, puppy, uh, you know, something warm, something welcoming, no, no images of safety. When you hear the words digital transformation, you feel, you see images of cold, uh, you know, heartless, lifeless, steel, metal, inhuman. Uh, words like loyalty, I think, are just broken. You know, I believe today, for example, people are are loyal, but not to a company. I think people are loyal to learning and, you know, things like employee. That's another one that I think is broken or regular full time staff. How we budget in companies is all around full time people. But more and more people are having multiple jobs and a portfolio for a career rather than working for one person. So why don't we talk about value creators rather than employees? And so I think we. These are some of the things uh, that I think we need to start challenging. In the UK, for example, you probably know this better than I do, Bill. There's been a really interesting study at scale of a four-day work week. It's been a, an experiment. 
to see if that is something that can work. So, you know, this notion of a work week has been reconsidered. And, and the pandemic has really tossed a lot of the notions that we had up for discussion, which I really think is really neat. And uh, I just read an article yesterday that said, you know, about six months into the four-day workweek trial, 90% of the companies say we are highly likely to want to continue this. We're as productive, if not more. Job satisfaction is higher. Profits are just fine. You know, maybe we need to reconsider that whole five-day or, you know, a notion of work. So, you know, those are some of the the words that that I think we really need to start thinking about. Another one that just drives, it also triggers me, is engagement. You know, we've been, uh, you know, while that, I think we can still use that term, what I think we should get behind that term in, with our thinking is, rather than, hey, employee, are you engaged in us? I think we should say, are we, the employer, engaged in the employee? Hey, Bill, what's your mission? What's your vision? What's your future plan for yourself? What's the, what are your values and where do you want to go and how can I help you get there? Instead of expecting that our, you know, our success is going to be driven off of how we engage the employees and us, I think we need to reverse the conversation. So those are some of the things that, um, you know, when I think about creating a new language that we really need to get, you know, get together and try to create something better that makes that, that just fits this fast pace of work. And having recruited, by the way, for over uh, feels like 40 years now, you know, we, we used to recruit for experience. Um, and we have been recruiting for experience and now we really need to start recruiting for talent. So this whole notion of talent acquisition, I don't think has been true historically. I think we've been recruiting. So experience, uh, acquisition mainly. And that's another thing that, you know, in a world where fully qualified talent is harder to find than ever before, we're going to have to start recognizing that our mission as organizations is going to be to fill that gap, to fill the fact that maybe we're going to used to be able to hire someone hundred percent qualified. And now it's only likely that we're going to find someone 60%. So we either have to change the job and re-architect that, or we're going to have to change how we onboard people and uh, get them up to speed. So yeah, big challenges. Amazing answer. I love that. Thank you. Uh, okay. So today we, we face one of the most dynamic moments in history Steve, I mean, it's, it's it's pretty turbulent times as well, of course. And a lot of people are worried about what 2023 looks like uh, um, in the UK. <laughs> you mentioned the UK a moment ago. Uh, things yep. in the UK are, are particularly uh, not not perky right now. But uh, yeah, elsewhere in the US and Canada and elsewhere, um, there is there is concern for next year. But it's also exciting times. You know, we're, we're living through one of the most dynamic moments in history when it comes to the role of of the HR leader and and we're living through a very changed world of work. What are you most excited about and what gives you hope that the future is bright? I, I'm probably, I'm excited about a lot, but I'm probably most excited about the fact that the last three years has served us the ultimate crash course masterclass on adaptability and agility on every level. And not just in every part of you know work, but every part of our lives, you know, how we live. We hit pause on how we engaged and the laws of biology. I'm not a biologist, but um, I've read a lot and I've been and then talked to a lot of biologists and the laws of biology are such that when a biological being is impeded from doing what it normally does, it learns how to act differently. And we're building new patterns, new norms now that really, really get me excited about the future. 
Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, considering different ways of working, considering, you know, how can we build a more, um, you know, a, a work experience that offers more mental wellness. And I also think, and for the audience of talent leaders and people who are passionate about human resources and so forth, I believe that the appreciation and the recognition of the value of a very strategic function, human resources function, has never been higher. I mean, it has just been one thing after another with this whole work from home versus hybrid versus back to the office versus like, well, what does productivity really mean? Uh, and I believe that what the pandemic has served us, uh, you know, uh, on a grand scale is this immersion merging of work and life. So that now we can have a more real conversation instead of separating the two, like work and home, like we can sort of say, no, 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 it all was a hostile takeover by the pandemic. It's now all one. Let's rebuild in consideration of things that we never experienced before. For example, many of my friends and colleagues were uh, who started working from home and had never done it before started seeing um, things in their families things with their children, things with their spouses that they never experienced before because they just weren't around to experience it. What the energy that children bring when they come home from school or the kids who are learning from home, seeing their learning and how they're learning and seeing how they're being taught. We're just getting perspective on different things and being able to maybe volunteer more in the community rather than spend time commuting on a train or a bus or a car has served notice to us that maybe there's a different, better way of organizing our time and our lives. And so that really gets me excited. Now, it, that excitement doesn't come without the obvious recognition that moving forward is going to be really hard because it's very how organizations have been built was not to account for all the different needs that employees by and large are asking for now, more freedom, more autonomy, more capacity to work when and where they want to. And as I believe, businesses are going to have to continue to get wiser and more mature around being able to lead in these new distributed um, ways, I believe that will just lead to more opportunity for organizations and individuals. Organizations can tap into deeper talent markets in places that they didn't feel confident having people work in before, different time zones, different cultures. They're going to get and continue to get more comfortable. And talent similarly is going to be able to say, how can I organize my life? Not just my work, but my life so I have greater life productivity, not just work productivity. So that... I mean, I could go on, but those are probably the big ones for me, Bill. Amazing. And that takes us to the end of this particular conversation, Steve. I'd love to get you back on again in the future. But for now, uh, Steve, thank you very much for being my guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Thank you for having me. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Chat Podcast. There are hundreds of conversations with business experts available for free on the HR Gazette website, Apple, Spotify, and all the main platforms. And remember to like, subscribe, and follow us on social media.